Welcome to A Tale from Two Brothers. I'm H.C. Store. Last time, we met Edwin Peters, whose untimely death in the Great Lisbon Earthquake of 1755 and subsequent tsunami set the stage for our main players to be introduced, the untrusting Jacques and his new stepfather, Nathan Hodges. As the episode came to a close, Nathan, the man who had saved the town of Penzance, began to crack under the pressure, revealing the signs of the fiend that may lay underneath the carefully crafted facade. Chapter 3 Despite his hangover, Nathan ordered a coach just after sunrise, fleeing the scene before he could be confronted by the bruised Margot. There wasn't much of a conscience left in him. The little devil in his ear had no counterpart, especially when he was drunk. He had never felt shame for his actions, and he wasn't about to start. Women were like ships, mostly. A bit of caulk and a fresh coat of paint, and Margot would sell, right? After all, it was her insults that had forced his hand. The thought of fault being his was absurd. No. He was sure if he just gave the old lady enough time, he could patch her up and make her shipshape. It was under this plan that Nathan spent days at the shipping firm, cooling down. He tried his best to wrap his mind around the company's problems, and it was this time away, nervous and nursing his pride, that the intent to make good on his promise to Adelson was at its most fervent. There was even the thought that if he had to, he would still a vessel to do it. It was when this mania had run its course that he quickly crafted a plan to let him back through the doors of Shellstone. Maggie! Nathan crossed the threshold. Taking a few more steps inside the house, he spied one way and then the next, until his eyes rested upon Margot, who was perched on the edge of a green embroidered lounge chair in the sitting room, tears streaming down her cheeks. Sheepishly, he ambled in, Bending awkwardly at one joint and then another, he creaked over the waxed floorboards and ended up on both knees in front of her. I'm a fool. If I could find an excuse grand enough to dismiss my appalling behavior, I would give it, but the truth is, I can't. I fell into an old habit. The only thing I can do now is plead for your forgiveness, love, and vow that it will never happen again. With that, he pulled out a small box and laid it on her knee. The top was adorned with a pink ribbon tied in a lover's knot. It was the most romantic thing he could think of. You hurt me, not only here, she pointed to the purple bruise on her cheek. Brushing aside her white and blue cameo necklace, she placed her left hand over her heart. But here, too. I know, my love. I will do whatever it takes to fix it, he crooned, placing his hand on hers. Margot flinched at his touch. It will take some time, I think, she confirmed, staring into his repentant eyes. Please come home. You should not be sleeping in an office. Nathan smiled and kissed her hand in an embrace. For him, he was satisfied that the patching was done. To his wife, it was not so easy to forget. Margot was as kind and cordial as ever on the outside, returning to the role of a doting wife. However, it was not lost on Nathan that there were quirks that had not been there before. The tiny affronts may have been innocent on their own, but taken as a whole, he was put on edge by her insults. 
Every time he came near, she would subtly shy away with some excuse, and his resentment began to build with each rebuff. As time passed, he realized that Margot had never actually apologized for her part. The demon on his shoulder, which still expected her to ask forgiveness, prodded him at the slightest perceived injustice. As his illogic anger simmered, he found himself refilling his small hip flask several times a day. It was a cool autumn afternoon. Nathan commiserated with one of the cut crystal glasses in hand, watching as a scotch swirled lazily at the bottom. The near-full decanter sparkled in the late sun, its permanent home now at the edge of Nathan's desk. His numb senses tingled with the rush of wind that accompanied the unannounced swinging of his great hardwood door. In the shadows of the hallway, a tall, slender man with his tattered hat cocked to one side stood silently. It was when the figure stepped into the shaft of window light that Nathan's heart sank. Hello, Nathan. The man ambled in with his gappy grin, set askew by the deep scar running down his face. William, Nathan exhaled, defeated. Thought I saw you at the wedding. That you did. William propped himself into the vacant leather seat. He wasted no time in helping himself to the decanter like a nursery bottle as he discarded the crystal stopper, sending it skipping over the desk. After taking a long swig, William continued, Fancy me, hearing how old Nathan found himself a nice French tot, all rich and taken care for. Is that why you's gone and put on airs? Oh, look at me, oys Nathan, oldges, oys the bestest mate a mate ever had. <laughs> Stopping his laugh with a chuckle, he drank down another swig. Oys be thinking. Me old shipmate was wanting his new bride to meet William. Best mate a whaler could have. What do you want? Nathan asked. Want? Why, you's a odd one. It ain't what we'll be wanting. It's what me old mate Nathan don't be wanting. William took another drink of the whiskey and continued. Nathan Orges, is it? Well, men, and jolly good upstanding gent. We both know it ain't pleasant to go speaking of the dead, but supposing old Nathan Orges as a run-in with a certain constable who knows him best as Nathan Rogers. I'll give you a hundred pounds to leave, Nathan offered immediately. William clucked his tongue and leaned forward, instantly serious. We both know you's got more money than that. The business is bankrupt. Nathan scoffed. There's nothing for it. You can take the hundred pounds, or you can leave with that bit of scotch. There ain't much left. You insult me. William chuckled, wiping his hands clean to tidy himself. If I didn't know better, I'd say, who's losing your edge? Nathan Rogers, Orgers, or any other name you goes by, wouldn't spend another night with his French talk if there was no money in it. You's got the money, Nathan. Will knows you best. As I sees it, we is partners. Fifty-fifty. That big old house is worth four thousand pounds if it's worth half a crown. With the French pastries pension, well, 
always be willing to take 3,000 pounds. Yes, William is obliged is F. 3,000, Nathan, Angel of Penzance. Nathan nodded, chewing his tongue. You're right. You are entitled to yours. I got the hundred here. Nathan pulled open the drawer, filled with the town's money. Is you deaf? William protested. A hundred bones wouldn't clean me toes. No, no, I insist. Can't have me mate walking around penniless. Quick as a flint, Nathan whipped a loaded pistol from the drawer, cocking it in a fluid motion as he held it to William's head. Methinks you overplayed your hand, mate. Now, Captain, William swallowed hard. I, I was only fooling. If you, you wouldn't go and ruin your order and reputation by blowing me brains out, there would be questions. Not hardly. I is a respectable jet around these parts. Nathan stood, straightening to his full height as he stepped around the desk and pulled William to his feet. You, on the other hand, is a stranger and no-count thief. These fine people wouldn't give your corpse a second look. You ain't gonna kill your best mate, Captain. Will knows you. I saved your life. William pleaded as Nathan ushered him to the door. It's because you is me mate that you ain't dead yet. Now you concern yourself with my well-being, and I will worry about me edge. You is best to be my eyes and ears if you know what's good for you. Grabbing William by the collar, Nathan shoved him down the hall and out of the building. William's feet slid and stumbled to a stop in the dirt, spilling the scotch from the decanter still in his grasp. Straightening, William turned with his gappy smile. You can count on me, Captain, and me thanks you for the ni- Nathan rolled the pistol out of sight and sent the heavy door to the frame with a loud bang. His past had followed him like a bloodhound. At his desk, the bundle of 700 pounds caught his eye in the still open drawer, the coins and notes beseeching. There had been a time when that amount of money would have tickled his cockles with glee. Now it seemed like Adelson's investment was an anchor, cankered and rusted. For the briefest of moments, he had everything he had ever wanted. Exchanging his pistol for the crystal glass, he downed the last bit of whiskey, scooped up the notes, and grabbed his cloak. There was only one thing worse than losing, and that was losing with an audience. Reaching back to the gouged mahogany top, he snatched up the pistol and stuffed it into his pocket. With men like William prowling about, the game was all but up. Margot awoke to a dark, hulking body, rifling through her small writing desk. Who, who is it? she asked timidly, already knowing the answer. I need a draft! Nathan burst toward her, toppling a chair in his path. A draft? She was confused. She had heard Nathan was lurking somewhere around the docks, but she had assumed that her husband would return to her once again repentant. Now, the sting of his drunken blow seemed to rebound with full force. Money, you stupid whore! His frosty breath billowed into the room. Throwing the blankets off her body, he shoved a small box tied with a knotted pink ribbon under her nose. What's this, eh? Nathan had proof of her remorseless behavior. You never even opened it. I, I... Margot scrambled to cover herself once again. Having none of it, Nathan grabbed her by her hair and dragged her off the mattress, shaking her head violently. Is this what you thinks of me? 
toss me away like me trinkets. Are you drunk again? Margot asked. And what if I am? Nathan reached out and with an open palm caught her in the face, the swing of his arm casting him into the light of the moon. What it revealed was a man with filthy clothes and hair matted in mud, his face splotched with red from his own misfortune. I know you keep some pounds around. I need that money. I keep money hidden in the desk, she pointed with a shaky hand. You owe me money? You could have just asked. I... Nathan stopped, confused. He hadn't slept since the day William had showed up in his office. The comet broke open the dam of hatred in his mind. It was all her fault. He had a plan, but her own stubbornness had destroyed everything. Frustrated and angry, he rummaged about the walnut slant top, finally tossing the contents from inside. How do you get this blasted thing open? As Margot stood to help, he shoved her back to the ground and retrieved the pistol from his waistband. Using the brass pommel of it like a club, he reared back and in a single blow smashed in the leather skiver. He tore the broken wood out of his way like an animal and gripped the satchel of gold coin. Stuffing it and the small box into his cloak, Nathan stood erect, observed his work, and then made for the door. And, and when should we expect your return? Margot asked. When I have a mind to, Nathan snarled back. Chapter 4 Ah, oh, Nathan, you've returned. Mr. Adelson heaved himself from a chair as Nathan entered the parlor through the white fluted arch. Stopping short, Nathan appraised him cautiously before tossing his hat on the inlaid marble table with a smirk. Straightening his fresh, clean suit of clothes and sinking into the settee, he studiously ignored Margot's narrowed eyes and tipped his head. Adelson, I have been discussing business with your wife. It seems there might be a question about the viability of Peter's shipping. And why would you think that? Nathan narrowed his eyes upon Margot with a glare, his ears heating with betrayal. Her scowl deepened in return. His tidy, clean-shaven appearance and cavalier attitude was a direct contrast to the man who had attacked her several days before. I have heard that your debts, that there's been an aggressive campaign to collect on your debts. The palatable tension between the two caused Mr. Adelson's voice to falter as he tried to maintain his composure. My debts? Nathan turned back incredulous. Maybe we can speak alone. Mr. Adelson offered. It don't matter. She's as dumb as a post when it comes to business. Nathan waved an indifferent hand towards his wife. Nothing we can say can't be heard by her. Margot stood indignant. You took several hundred pounds from me to pay men who had beaten you. Mr. Adelson wants to know where the money is. Margot turned to leave. Cautiously, she stopped to retrieve her husband's hat. It took every ounce of strength to control her shaking hand as Nathan's gaze bored into her. Once they were alone, Mr. Adelson sat back down in his chair and leaned forward. Well then, I will get right to it. I am in doubt about my investment with your firm. And why would that be? Nathan scowled as he relaxed further into his seat. I had given you a draft of 700 pounds to procure repairs on your vessel and to hire a crew. 
It is no secret that you have been spending your days at the gambling club, and from what your wife has told me, I can only assume the funds have been wasted there and upon that fine suit of clothing. Nathan's air of indifference darkened. He had come with half a mind to again patch things up with Margot, but now he was furious, betrayed. It was just like her to lure him in with feelings of guilt, only to cut his throat in the end. That was probably how she had tricked him into marrying her, the siren. She knew the company was all but lost, a secret she had waited to spring on him only after the marriage was signed and sealed. He could see her plan of humiliation perfectly now. Margot had called Addison over to shame him publicly. The fuming powder keg of anger ready to explode, he spoke menacingly as he sat up straight. Well then, I don't think I want to be in business with a faithless coward. Perhaps it's best we do part ways. That would be agreeable. Adelson was beat red, but avoided shouting down Nathan's insult. But you see, sir, I must demand a return on my investment. Then here's your seven hundred. Nathan produced a fistful of banknotes. Tossing the funds to the ground, he leaned forward and flicked a single copper. And a penny for your trouble. There, there's no need for all of this, Mr. Adelson stammered. You don't trust me, and I don't trust you. Nathan was gruff, and he no longer tried to hide his more natural language. Now pick up the money before I toss you from me home. Sir, there was an agreement upon interest, Mr. Adelson objected. Nathan stood quickly and thrust the shorter man to the floorboards by his neck. As he held Adelson there, Nathan leaned to his ear and growled. If you read your contract, you would know that interest would not be payable on an early withdrawal. Now scoop up your pounds and leave me home. In triumph, Nathan released his query, straightened his black suit, and sauntered to the liquor cabinet. As Adelson gathered the money and left, the brute rummaged indifferently among the clinking spirits. After several drafts of port, Nathan decided he needed what was left and tottered with the bottle towards the stairs. And what of my money? Margot met him, coming from the study. Instantly, Nathan grabbed her by the throat and pinned her against the wall. What business is it of yours? He spat close to her ear. We're wed. What's yours is mine. I've been trying to save your dead husband's name, and this is the thanks I'm handed. Slapping her hands away, he slammed her against the wall again, cracking the plaster. Stop it! Jacques ran across the hall to help. With a terrible pop, Nathan's bottle burst across the boy's forehead. In shock, Jacques lay upon his back, running cautious fingers through the port, mingling with the blood and tears streaming down his face. How dare you strike a child? Margot pounded on Nathan's chest. Why do you not just leave this place? Nathan gripped her throat tightly. And leave me home? Reaching back, he slapped her across the face and tossed her on the floor next to her crying son. Shut that boy up! Like he had dumped a soiled rag, Nathan didn't take a second look as he climbed the stairs, mumbling about how her plan had backfired. Jacques sat at the grand walnut table in the dining room. 
the bandage across his forehead may have hid the wound, but the low throb was a constant reminder of his hate for their tormentor. Surreptitiously, he took small glances at his mother, who stared at her own marks over and over in a small silver mirror. In the same moment the servants entered to lay out breakfast, Margot quickly lowered the silver and glass as Jacques shifted his gaze back to the grandfather clock on the opposite wall. The small gash may have stopped bleeding, but the yellow bruises around his eyes made it look all the worse. Avoiding eye contact, the servants moved swiftly through the room and then disappeared. Jacques was glad for it. Their wounds were an open shame, one he wished no audience, especially Anna, to see. From his peripheral, he observed his mother return to her looking glass with a light hand caressing her cheek. Jacques' stomach turned sour. He should have protected her, the purple bruise and swollen lip evident of his failure. As diligent as his mother had been in trying to keep Nathan's growing escapades from him, Jacques had heard the tales from their staff. He could sense that it was more than just the physical pain that was causing her harm. The brute was holding his mother's heart in the balance. He had known from the beginning that something was off with the man, but he never expected it would turn out to be as bad as all this. Now he was sure this was the real Nathan. The man his mother had fallen in love with did not exist at all. When Nathan finally stumbled downstairs, Jacques sat silent, staring past his untouched breakfast as the beast prowled around the room, looking more like a bear than a man. Gone were the niceties he had veneered over his rough edges. After drinking a black cup of coffee, Nathan went about his business at the liquor cabinet with a chunk of buttered bread wedged between his teeth. Jacques moved to stand. That poison was what had brought out the monster, and he would have none of it. Hastily, his mother's hand shot out and forced him to his seat, the movement drawing Nathan's attention. You know, one should be more careful. Nathan spoke through the bite of bread as he stepped to the table and gripped her chin gruffly. Jacques's head whipped up, uncontained anger etched on his face. Watch yourself, pup, Nathan smirked, flicking the boy behind the ear as he took a long draft of Caribbean rum, then sauntered from the house. Like a reflex, Jacques's gaze found the clock face once more, wishing that its ticking would stop keeping time with his mother's shoulders as they quivered in silent sobs. As the weeks passed, it was obvious that it was more than drink that consumed their tormentor. When Jacques stepped in again to defend his mother, this time with a fire poker, he was beaten senseless, Nathan unwilling to let the lad go until he went limp. Like so many before her, Margot was at a loss of what to do. Sit up straight! We do not slouch, Margot chided, trying to return to a sense of normalcy when Nathan was not about. It's my back, Mama, Jacques complained. It hurts when I stretch it. Let me have a look. Margot turned the boy around and began to lift the folds of his shirt. You should not come close to him when he's angry with me. But he might kill you, Mama, Jacques said in a grunt as pain lanced through his lungs. It's not as bad as all th Her tongue froze in her mouth. Along the left side of Jacques's ribs, a purple and black bruise faded to green as it circled to his spine. 
Shrinking from the sight, she bit her tongue as tears breached her lids and spilled down her cheeks. Taking a moment to compose herself, she turned the boy about. You must not come near him again. I can protect myself. Do you understand? But Mama, promise me. Margot barked and then calmed. When he is angry, let him be. Jacques hung his head in defeat and nodded silently. Without warning, the front door slammed, shaking the whole house. Quick, up to your room. Margot ushered Jacques to the servant's entrance, her voice quivering with anxiety. But Jacques began to protest. No, you promised. We must not make him so angry. Pushing the boy through the door, her heart raced as she spun to the room and began to straighten its already perfect order, unaware of what arbitrary line would set Nathan off. She had concluded that pretending there was nothing wrong and treating Nathan as a loving wife would keep him appeased. Across the hall, she could hear the brute rummaging through the liquor cabinet when the shattering of glass drew her eye to the door. Swallowing hard, she clenched her hands together to keep them from shaking. As his stomping footfalls drew closer, a flash of intuition pricked the pores of her arms. Nothing was going to change his manner. As a lady of society, whatever social calendar existed in Penzance, Margot became withdrawn. Her bruises were an embarrassment, and her husband's drunken antics too much to try and explain. Canceling lunches and turning away visitors, she found herself in a prison of worry and stress. As the weeks turned into months, it was obvious the only thing that determined Nathan's mood was how much he had consumed at the public house or how much money he had won and lost in the gambling hall. Nathan's true character had become liberated when he stopped caring about Edwin's sunken business. He had assumed there would be money enough to live a life of ease. When the funds started to diminish and reality approached, he began to skulk about the home, brooding. Soon, whatever staff had not quit, Nathan started to let go. She stole my coat, he demanded of Kathy, the eldest of the maids. Mr. Timmons, the gardener, he had shifty eyes. One after another, the home emptied of servants. Then the furniture began to disappear. Margot held her tongue. She felt it best not to start a quarrel she knew would end in a violent beating. Too slowly, the coldest months of winter gave way to spring. Stress had led to a lack of appetite and sleepless nights without end. The want of nourishment had left the poor woman gaunt and easily broken by a cough that lingered for weeks. The beatings had become more frequent, with no provocation at all, as if Nathan enjoyed them. She needed a way out. I must withdraw thirty pounds from my account. Margot sat, clutching a small purse with proof of her late husband's fortune. Her frail constitution was in stark contrast to the finely carved pillars of the institution that held her trust. She needed just enough money for her and Jacques to make it to London. There, she could secure the funds to make the crossing to Calais, and then home. The wrath of her father would be nothing compared to the purgatory her life had become. Well, madame, the clerk chewed his lip, unable to meet her eye. I would think that the bank could find a way to... You see... What is the problem? Margot asked. <coughs> I, I need to withdraw this money. Well, you see... 
The clerk wiped his face and then excused himself. Let me go speak with the... Quickly, he turned and slunk away. Margot had her suspicions, but she was sure Nathan could not have spent the fortune in its entirety. It was just a moment when the gangly Mr. Openshaw, in his black suit and powdered wig, stood before her. I am truly sorry for the hard times you have fallen on, but you do not have thirty pounds to withdraw. What? Margot was at once incensed. My husband has more than ten thousand pounds deposited here. There must be something left. I demand... <coughs> the excitement proved too much. In a fit, she began to hack as the sickness in her lungs welled up to her throat. I'm sorry, Mr. Openshaw tried to explain. But your current husband has depleted that account. As I told him no more than a week ago, the bank can offer no more credit. Margot's sunken eyes rolled back, her once curly locks straight and worn. With a great gasp, she started to cough red into her hand, just as the world blackened. Overcome by the shock of the frail woman collapsing at his feet, Mr. Openshaw realized the extent of her condition. Finally, he yelled, Someone fetch the doctor! Chapter 5 Get up! Nathan shoved Jacques' head with his boot. What? Jacques startled awake as Nathan clamped a grimy hand to his mouth, a warning finger over his own lips. Jacques hadn't seen Nathan in at least a week and had hoped the cur had gone for good. Get dressed! Gagging over Nathan's foul breath, Jacques quickly pulled on his worn breeches and buttoned his coat with shaky hands. Every footfall echoed through the empty home, which was now denude of carpets and furniture. It seemed Nathan's nerves were on edge until greeted by the muffled grind of the gravel outside. Hurrying to keep pace with Nathan's long strides, Jacques finally worked up the courage to break the silence. Where are we going? Time to earn your keep, Nathan remained cryptic. Leery of the drunkard's fists, Jacques decided it was best to let the quiet prevail. He had just started to lose track of time when his shin, chafing against the bone, reminded him of how far they had come. As the road filled with homes, Jacques realized this was the first time he had ever walked so far. He had never been to town without a coach. Nathan, me best customer. A woman, dressed in a torn red bodice, greeted in the fog near the wharf. Is that best by activity or use? Nathan laughed. Oh, go on, she giggled back. To Jacques, she was immediately abhorrent her fat legs exposed midway up her thigh as the cold night air exasperated the red cuts on her knees. Her blonde hair was a mass of struggling strands, like wire atop her head. Over a ghostly white spackle, layers of rose paint had been carelessly slathered above her eyes and upon her cracking lips. I don't have time tonight, Giselle. Nathan braced his arm behind her. But you stay warm. Cringing away as his stepfather gave the creature a peck, Jacques came to a halt, his eyes frozen upon the neck of the woman. That's my mother's! With a yell, he charged her, his arms outstretched, curling fingers ready to claw the fine golden chain and cameo from her skin. Like an adder, Nathan grasped him around the middle. Get over here! It was a gift, 
Giselle recoiled. That pendant is my mother's, Jacques insisted. Will you shut it? Nathan struck him hard. There are a great many things in this world that look alike. No, Jacques would not be deterred. My father gave that to my mother. I was there. I used to play with it when she held me. I would know it anywhere. How does she have my mother's property? Shut it, Nathan shook the boy. She has it because I gave it to her. The world costs money. Do you get hungry, boy? Do you ever want a crust of bread? Jacques nodded, anger and hurt, building into tears at the base of his eyes. I know you hate me. That's fine. But let's get this straight. I needs more than bread. When I needs it, I pays for it. Your mother ain't gonna be needin' no charm your father gave her. But I needs me hunger satisfied. Do you understand me? Nathan shook him again. Well? Jacques lowered his eyes and nodded. Good. Then forget about the trinket. Yanking him into a quiet doorway, Nathan bent down with a heavy hand on Jacques' shoulder. Speaking in low tones, he hissed. If you want to eat, then you has to help earn the bread. We's out of money. I've begged, borrowed, and stolen all I knows how. There, I've said it. You understand? What can I do about it? Jacques felt a knot in his stomach. No one pays mind to a waif of a boy. You're like a ghost, mostly. Nathan paused, his fingers bumping down the stubble of his face. See that gent putting on airs over there? You's gonna go distract him while I relieve him of his pocket watch. But Mr. McGuire's kind to my mother and me. Quickly, Nathan wrapped his paw about the boy's mouth. Jacques continued to mumble past his soiled fingers. I don't want to steal his watch. Well, it's a good thing it'll be me and not you, isn't it? Nathan barked. Now go out there and ask that gent for some tuppence and take care that he don't look around. Shoved midway to the road, Jacques timidly stepped into the path of Mr. McGuire and held out his hand. Sir? Jacques, my boy, he replied, shocked at seeing the child. What on earth are you doing out at this hour? Jacques hesitated only a moment. Sir, it's my mum. She's terribly sick, and we have barely enough for bread. She needs medicine. He trailed off, looking down in shame. It was the truth, but the humiliation at having to beg cut him to his once prideful core. His eyes bent. He watched as dirt-crusted nails creeped around Mr. McGuire's waist and slowly slipped his shiny gold watch and chain from his vest. Yes, I heard your mother was taken ill. Consumption is a terrible thing. I don't have much on me, mind you, but what I have is yours. Just as Nathan's hands made the retreat, the man pulled a half-crown from his waistcoat, handing it to the child. Do see that your mother's taken care of. Jacques held his head in shame and watched as Mr. McGuire continued on his way. When the man was just a shadow, Jacques darted to the alley, crowing, We can get medicine for my mum! Like a viper, Nathan snatched the coin from his fingers and shoved the boy from his path. Hey! Jacques protested. Nathan pushed him further back. I has needs! Catching himself against a muddy wagon wheel, Jacques turned to glare at the painted woman who wore his mother's pendant. What about the medicine? Don't ye be worn, pup, Nathan quipped. She'll give me all the medicine I need. With a grin, Giselle took his hand and led him into the hovel she called home. Turning away, Jacques choked on the sadness that streamed down his face, with nothing to do but to wallow in the humid morning mist.
every second of guilt for what he had done to Mr. McGuire replayed in his head and ticked at his conscience like the man's now missing watch. Convicted by his dishonor, Jacques let the shivers and hunger flail away at his gut until Nathan returned with the first glowing rays of daybreak. Jacques felt dirty. As failing health imprisoned Margot to her bed, there was hardly a soul to pay him a second glance after Nathan had let both the cook and Anna go. Jacques had often thought Anna was an angel, but her willingness and conviction to stay on without pay to care for his mother confirmed her sainthood in his eyes. She did her best to care for him as well, but overcome with duties fit for an army of nurses twice her age, he knew it was becoming impossible for her to keep up. But for the boy, who once had a future of means, it was more than just his matted hair or dirty face. Jacques could feel the guilt of begging, of thieving, quickly tarnishing his insides to match his appearance. Gone was the boy who had walked the streets with an air of indifference. After spending the preceding weeks fulfilling Nathan's mandate, he could no longer even meet the gaze of the citizens of Penzance. He had accosted each and every one of them, seeking money to help his ailing mother. Knowing the money was going towards whatever scheme Nathan was planning next was bad enough, but Jacques had found, deep down inside, that there was a part of him that actually enjoyed the game of it. He felt low enough as the beggar, but being good at it made his shame feel like a sharp hook was in his gut. On top of everything, his mother's condition had turned dire. Her breathing had become labored, and coughing up blood became a regular occurrence. I don't think she'll make it another sunrise. Anna's delicate voice quivered. Hmm, Nathan grumbled, indifferent. Jacques had been awake for some time, staring into the black nothing around him. With his thin blanket secured to his nose, he had nothing to do but listen to the hushed conversation. It had been hard to sleep in the empty home. He hadn't a bed to lie in, and only a pile of dust remained where his wardrobe had once stood. Not that it mattered. His stepfather had sold almost every stitch of his clothing. I can't help her. It's in God's hands now. Anna pressed. Nathan acted neither surprised nor concerned at Anna's warning. Without much thought, he tossed a few clinking coins at the maid. Have her buried before she stings up the place. I ain't paying for no marker. Jacques' anger simmered as he listened to the angel of death tromp downstairs and kick at the empty bottles of spirits littering the floor. The grand liquor cabinet was the last to go but Nathan's true love had finally been sold with everything else. A moment later, the door slammed, the empty home echoing with vibrations from the violence of the blow. Unaware of how long he had been staring at the ceiling, Jacques startled when his door sucked open with a creak, a weak flicker of candlelight penetrating the gloom that surrounded him. Are you awake, young master? Anna's delicate features became visible as she held her candle aloft. Jacques nodded and turned away, positive that someone as good as she could see past his unkempt appearance and into the tarnished filth of his soul. Your mum, she's asking to see you. Anna's voice was grave. Jacques knew what it meant, but he didn't know how to feel with anger and sadness at war in his heart. When Papa had died, it was like the world had stopped spinning. Now it was as if the devil himself were there, mocking his pain.
The day he had learned of Edwin's death had been the worst day of his life, and now it would seem he was doomed to repeat it. Jacques lifted himself from the floor and followed Anna into the room. His mother had become almost unrecognizable. Her skeletal face was pale but for the dark rings surrounding her now foggy green eyes. What was left of her colorless hair was damp and plastered to her forehead and face. Jacques resisted the urge to flee, instead walking forward awkwardly as if his legs were made of sticks. With great effort, Margot raised a hand. Venice! <laughs> come Swallowing hard, he stepped to the side of her bed and took her waxy cold fingers. Jacques gathered his courage and pushed the edges of his lips towards his ears. He could feel his mother's warm love as she smiled back. It was as if an angel itself had suddenly entered the room and the sun had somehow broken through the black of night. In an instant, it was gone as she began to wheeze. Through the fit, she mouthed a few words that Jacques was unable to hear. He leaned closer and put his ear to her mouth. Je... je... je He will kill you too? A spasm began to shake her shoulders. The light faded from her eyes. With a final effort, she lifted her head from her bed, gripping his arm firmly. Vous... yes, mon... mon ange... Her head falling back to her pillow... Margot's eyes fixed upon nothing as blood trickled from the corner of her mouth. The woman didn't move again. Jacques stumbled back, tears he hadn't known were there dripping from his jaw. Madame? Madame? Anna called, not knowing what else to do. Like a whip over his ears, the finality of the girl's words cracked the pain in his chest wide open. Turning, Jacques fled the room. his last blood relative now gone, new evidence comes to light that may be just the thing that helps Jacques escape the scourge of Penzance. But with the ghosts of Nathan's past closing in, Jacques may find that his chance at liberation may be more dangerous than his tormentor. Mm -hmm.